0: Screw it, screw it, we're just going talk about comics. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. And I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other one of those two brothers. My name is Kevin Hines. We're uh, passionate comic book fans, although not professionally qualified in any way to do this. Mm-hmm. We are comedian-ish. And sort of funny plus, I would say. And uh, we like talking about comic books. And um, we also like to interview people about comics. And this is one of our episodes where we have a guest. Yeah, we're interviewing our friend, uh, Brett White, who is a writer for Decider.com. He has done tons. He'll talk about it in the interview, but he's worked for Wizard and and Comic Book Resources and lots of other things. And this guy uh, loves comic books like no one else it's somebody that uh, i think kevin in particular would talk talk with brett about comics and I'm sure the people who are listening who love comics you have your your friends who yeah. are into it as much as you and you look forward to hearing their takes even when they disagree with you it's fun to hear their their thoughts about it uh, Brett and his friend Matt little used to do a comic book podcast and do uh, columns and stuff uh, and write about comic books and i would uh listen to that and, and talk to them about it I was a guest at least one or two times with them uh and I'm so desperate sometimes for people to talk about comics, like they don't like any of the stuff I like, or definitely Brett. Brett doesn't like any comics that I, or we overlap more now, but the stuff he grew up on is the stuff I didn't like. And the stuff I grew up on all preceded that. And he just sort of ignored. And I was reading Avengers. He was reading X-Men and we're just sort of the opposite. I said to Will just uh, off uh, Mike that it was, if we're a yin yang symbol, that would sort of be like who we are as fans. I'm the yin, he's the yang. And we, Together, combine all comic books. <laughs> uh, but I love talking to him about it, even though uh, he likes Maggot from the X-Men books, and I like Blue <laughs> Beetle, a Ted Kord Blue Beetle. <laughs> and it's like, who those guys don't get along. Yeah. We shouldn't get along. But um, Brett's going to talk about X-Factor issue 84, uh, yeah. which is part two of a long <laughs> thing called the Executioner's Song. Yeah. Part two of a 12-part <laughs> crossover event. Is what Brett picked to discuss, and Will tried to read it and and his brain melted a little bit. I mean, I technically did read it, but I did not understand any of it. I didn't know most of these characters. I didn't <laughs> know what was going on. It was like a trippy ride. It's like reading a Russian novel with it like, no lots orientation of information as to who the good guys were or the bad guys <laughs> or what was being solved. Our our coverage of this comic is like a uh i like it's like a cannonball blast because and it, I, if you haven't read the comic i don't know if this when we talk about the issue if it makes it will make any sense but it is a rush of emotion and i do think it is enjoyable and will yeah. be really fun for people i mean brett is a deep in his bones fan of the x-men brett oh yeah brett so. loves x-men and he, brett Should be doing our podcast talking about the X Men (laughs) way more than we should. (laughs) Way more. Way we shouldn't at all. We don't know what we're talking about. Uh Um, But um, it was really fun to talk to Brett. I'm glad. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Should we just get into it? Let's get into the interview. Thanks for joining us, Brett. Uh, It's so great to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and as I'm sure we said in the intro, uh, Brett, we've known Brett forever now. At this point, like.
1: Um, but yeah, probably like, I mean, 15 years. Yeah. I, my UCB 101 was follow six. So. so, yeah.
0: And I didn't meet you right then, but I met you shortly thereafter. Uh, uh, not too long. No, you but I mean, I, I met y'all yeah. from
1: the audience. It was a sure. one way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just <laughs> that's acknowledgement how of. That's how I like to meet people. I like them mm-hmm. to meet me and I can have like a wall between like they're seeing me, but I don't need to see them yet. Yeah, <laughs> And we're eventually going to get every single person who's ever seen us on stage on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's we're best. working our way through it. A you lot the- of
1: indie Team Alliance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just talk about 2007 IRC drama. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's Improv Resource Center. For those, uh, <laughs> are we going to get into Land's Mustache? What are we doing <laughs> Not internet relay chat or whatever the other IRC is. No, the Improv Resource Center message yeah, board. Um, I recall correctly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's, that's not, not what we're RC, talking IRC, IRC. No. Um, no. We're talking about comic books. And we're talking about comic books. And Brett is... Maybe one of the most ravenous uh, comic book fans. <laughs> Just, Just like this them guy, all this- he devours them. He's read so many. Uh, uh, when he likes the comic book, he is all in. He reads it from well, beginning to end, and, and- yeah.
1: I look at the ads for a second yeah. and I keep going. Yeah, um, I just, if like, this the, was if there was a video component then the listeners could see my uh home office and you could see all 5,000 of my comic books in IKEA shelves back Yeah, this there.
0: Is, and but you can picture it uh listeners <laughs> there's like
1: bookshelves <laughs> of I guess
0: graphics and then maybe also I I can't see if it's Mylar bound books but graphic you novels got- rather and then there's on the wall framed um issues perhaps and posters and like... Well, oh, yeah. One of issue, the issues we're talking about today is Framed, signed by Peter oh, David. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and action figures on every shelf. Uh, galore. Um, yeah, and, to, and various comics merch and stuff like that. So... We're talking to a real fan here.
1: Yeah, a yeah. lifetime. Uh I mean even this uh this Art Adams 1989 X-Men poster I've had on my walls since 1992 my mom got it at Kmart. Uh and it has been on every wall of every uh, apartment I've ever lived in and so, hey, Art, Art so, Adams uh, uh poster why not that's a
0: great choice. Yeah. Art Adams uh just a perfect artist in every way. Should uh, be decorating all homes. Yeah. The <laughs> fact that everyone doesn't have that poster up is a shame. Yeah. Uh, let's take that as just, let's get into it. So let's go back even before 92. Uh, what's, how'd you get into comics, Brett? Where, where did that start for you?
1: Um, In, uh, see, in a uh, new year's Eve, 1990 <laughs> wow. into 91. Let's um, set a picture. <laughs> my parents and sister, older sister are going to the, I don't know, the Orange Bowl, some college football thing in Florida. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my, so my sister is 12 years older than me. So I'm, I'm six. So he is 18. Uh, Her boyfriend at the time, who was like a nerd and, you know, would humor me. Uh, he babysat me for that weekend or what our child sat me. I was not a baby. Um, yes. Please get that the semantics is, right. Yeah, and that is the weekend that I saw star Wars for the first time in 1990, oh, wow. December 90. Uh, and so we watched star Wars and empire strikes back. And then we went to video Depot <laughs> to, to re- return of the Jedi and they didn't have it. And so I had to sit on that empire. I mean, The three years that people had to wait in 80 to 83 is actually uh, torturous, but I had to wait a while. Uh, But for today's
0: today's audience of binging uh, maniacs that are used to watching 12 episodes in one weekend. They can't imagine going through that.
1: Unbeknownst to us, my parents had actually taped Return of the Jedi off of HBO at some point in the past. And it was literally sitting in our entertainment center. <laughs> <laughs> but so like that got me into Star Wars. And like what people don't understand is like from 85 to 95 is the only time since Star Wars debuted that it was not cool. It was not around like Timothy Zahn. I think Air to the Empire had just come out. And so like no one else in my class knew what star Wars was like. They knew, like I only knew wow. it as like Muppet babies did it that one episode. Like that was my entire frame of reference. Cause it just had disappeared because, um, and so yeah, I experienced, I think star cause Wars. Will and I
0: are, since Will and I are a little older, like for us, like that era was like, uh, like star Wars was like missed people. Everyone yeah. my age knew about star Wars. Some people liked it more than others, but everyone liked it and were like, ah, it's too bad that's over. And we'll never yeah. be seen again. <laughs>
1: And so I got into Star Wars. I mean, God, I can just keep showing off shit. So then my sister's uh boyfriend then gave me all this Star Wars stuff because he was really trying to impress my sister. Um he did ended it, up did being it kind of crazy. Okay. No, no, he <laughs> proposed marriage to her and she was like, I dumped you. What's going on? But anyway, like he gave me like these uh he gave some four by six Empire Strikes Back, like giant trading cards that came out in 1980. They look so, really nice. yeah, I was in so like first and second grade. I'm obsessed with Star Wars with all these old comics. I, had, I got a big stack of all of his Marvel comics. Okay, and so like the first, the first comics that I really collected were these '70s uh, Star Wars ones, where where Jabba the Hutt is a weird furry alien and Yoda's like a little tiny gnome and yeah, and whatnot. <laughs> right,
0: because they were making they were making choices before Empire came out.
1: Oh yeah, well, uh, and they, they, they had were to they sort were going of like retrofit off- it they were going off like the shooting script and whatever production stills they had.
0: Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah. that's
1: what Howard Chaikin was going off of when he was drawing all that. Um, and so I had that. And the, the first comic that I actually collected month to month, just was a GI Joe in like 92. Uh,
0: and I think GI Joe and star Wars before it and transformers were like big, big entryway comics for
1: a lot of people. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Well, and this is also the, this is like, the the rad era, era of G.I. Joe. Sure, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, there are just nothing but like neon ninjas jumping around everywhere and stuff. Uh, that was my G.I. Joe. also, those
0: comic books were advertised on TV. Like when they would yeah. advertise the toys, they would also say, and read their adventures
1: in Marvel Comics. Well, and I guess I actually was super into Batman. Because uh, when I was like a little, little kid, Batman 66 was on in reruns mm-hmm. somewhere. And I remember like loving that. And then Batman 89, I saw that in the theater. Um, and then I was Batman that Halloween, and so like I had this big Batman phase, but then I tried to read the comics, and like Black Mask was the villain of the month, and I was just like, I don't know what this is, I don't want this. Yeah, Yeah.
0: you wanted Cesar Romero with his barely hidden mustache,
1: yes, or you know, Jack Nicholson's uh, paunchy Joker. (laughs) I I love it, I love it so much, but yeah, and then the uh, October 92. January 93, the X-Men cartoon is what uh, changed my life and ended up determining a lot of career choices <laughs> as an adult. So you were Ugh. reading
0: a lot of like merchandised, uh, uh, like whatever, uh, uh, yeah, like, Joe, the like these,
1: franchise tie-in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sort of these things that like Marvel had to pay to get the rights to make comics on. Yeah. Or something like that. There's some sort of deals like that going on, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden you... You watched the X-Men cartoon. Why did you watch the X-Men cartoon? Just because it was on or? Oh,
1: I mean, like I was a pop culture. uh, I was ravenous for pop culture, just eating all the TV cuts. So like (laughs) I would, you know, Saturday mornings was a a ritual of like waking up early and going downstairs and watching television cartoons and stuff for like three hours for my parents wake up. And if, it, if you put it on, I would watch it unless it was live action. I didn't watch anything live action. <laughs> so Saved by the Bell and all that stuff is a no for me, dog. <laughs> uh, and so like, I remember when X-Men, I remember when X-Men debuted on Fox, I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this. This wow. can't be <laughs> like, I, cause I had, I was, I don't know, haughty or whatever. I was really pride of my pride myself on uh, knowing all the all the franchises and stuff. I was big into like all the iterations of Robin hood and Peter Pan. And I could tell the (laughs) difference between et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so like when X-Men came on, I was like, what is this? And then I just, that cartoon was just geared to grab everyone my age's attention and just like not let go for at least a year for like for all of season one. Um, Because it was, you know, I mean, uh, hindsight who knows if it I still think it's great but that's me um for what even for what it was it was serialized storytelling which mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that like I love G.I. Joe and aside from like a five-parter or a two-parter you wouldn't get there would be no continuity between episodes right but like when you watch Night of the Sentinels and it's like no Morph dies Beast goes to jail he's in jail for all of season one and it would that just like blew my third grade mind See,
0: does season one cover any of the big early stories that will and i have just read for the first time because we are um dumb dumb yeah dumb <laughs> is the right word
1: now so like i'm in my opinion like you could make the perfect x-men movie out of just the first two episodes and like the last episode of of uh, of season one of because it like it, it opens up with the sentinels it kind of adapts uh, x-men number one from 63 um in Magneto, because it's the x-men stopping magneto at like a missile base and okay. then like they do morlocks they do days of future past which y'all are head getting we just,
0: we just oh. recorded it it'll be released uh i guess just before this episode so yeah yeah,
1: yeah So it has like not they- been
0: released yet as of this recording but it will be released before uh like tomorrow tomorrow so yeah. like yeah. what
1: what, what X-Men season one does is, is it's like this great thesis statement on the X-Men as a concept because the entire season, all 13 episodes are structured where it is like X-Men versus humans, X-Men versus like robots in the government, X-Men versus apocalypse, this example of a mutant that is like, you know, holier than thou, immortal. Or, you know, X-Men versus Magneto, which is, like, this conf, uh, contrasting uh, ideology. Like, they they set up every single villain in season one to be, like, by comparing the X-Men to this villain, we are showing you more of, like, their character and their mythology and their ethos and their morality and whatnot. And it's just such a good, it's a good entryway, and it's also just a good crystallization of, like, what is so good about the X-Men. And that also... Does a Ma baby chili fries? Jubilee's great. is, is
0: Jubilee was she in the comics or was this her first thing?
1: No, she she had been in the comics because she debuted in Uncanny 244 in like 89 or okay. <laughs> so. Um and so But, but she but was very she was very he new. She was to very be new. I cartoon. mean Gambit had only been around for like a year and he was in yep, the man. cartoon. Like he debuted in August 90 and X-Men debuted in uh, October ninety-two. So <laughs> They really uh, jumped in.
0: They knew he was a a hot character.
1: Oh, yeah. Come on. Cajun, (laughs) trench coat, pink, hot pink and black and blue. Great.
0: I'll I'll accept you on that. You're (laughs) the expert on that. Uh, So then X-Men sort of hooked you on comics. Or a comic book characters at least for good. And then did you immediately start reading the X-Men comics or did that take a little bit longer?
1: Well, I I remember January 93. Uh X-Men Adventures number five, the adaptation. I, lo- I love that you
0: know the dates when these things happen.
1: <laughs> I mean
0: I, it's a lot uh, of January. New Year's is like when you open yeah, up to I new mean, things.
1: So <laughs> time of rebirth. Um <laughs> like the Phoenix. Uh my mom oh. came home from, from Kroger because this is the other thing, is like when you're living in like Tennessee. Before comic book shops, really, a thing, like you get your comics at Walmart and grocery stores and gas stations. And, you know, you have no idea when they come out. You go to the grocery store. You look and like, oh, this one's new. Okay, (laughs) comics just appear. You have no idea what schedule they're on. My mom came home with X-Men Avengers number five, which was the adaptation of the episode Captive Hearts from season one, which is the Morlock episode. And then from there, I just got X-Men Adventures, which, again, kind of was the franchise is the licensed version of X Men because it was right, based right. on the cartoon, but then I, I then very quickly by like spring of '93 and Fatal Attractions, <laughs> I am on board with all uh, all the X titles. I'm making my parents buy all of them. So, so at this point, you didn't have a comic book shop you you had to go to grocery stores to get it and and yeah, I comic book shops were so there was Great Escape in Nashville, which in the early '90s. Um, they were a comic book shop, but I would mainly go there just to try and buy Star Wars toys. Because again, mm. in like 1990, 91, there are no Star Wars toys unless you go and convince your parent to like, can you please spend twice as much <laughs> on an old figure that you would on a new figure if they existed? <laughs> please yeah. pay $10 for this beat up Emperor Palpatine, please. <laughs> but I would do that. And then going to a comic book store was like a special thing. Like right. if my mom needed to go to old time pottery and like search for crafts, just drop me off at uh, Box Seat Cards and Comics, and I would just stay in there for hours looking at I just, cards. I and comics.
0: feel like by ninety, we just had an, we had like at least two comic book shops in Danbury, if not more. Yeah. Right? Well,
1: we yes. had two. We had two in Hendersonville: A B Tales and Box Seat Cards and Comics. But again, like I I I did not start regularly going to a comic book store weekly until I was in middle school. So,
0: what do you think it was about the X Men that grabbed you? Was it just that this series oh. was good, and so?
1: Well, I mean, I did not have any friends until I was a freshman in high school. Okay. So I was very ostracized and made fun of. And so like, that's the whole gem of X-Men. Yeah, the outcasts. <laughs> yeah. And so I I really, you know, uh, I think I really felt like that. But then also, so like, it, I think it is hard for people who came into Marvel and like superheroes with the MCU to understand how big x-men was in 1993 like because you know i i'd done tours of duty and gi joe and ninja turtles you know like Mm -hmm. i i've been around the (laughs) block i've been through the phases and then (laughs) x-men comes i mean like my third grade class was x-men obsessed everyone was collecting the trading cards um we had three different reading groups but and when one reading group was over there with the teacher reading the other two were like we were all selling trading cards at our desks and like walking to the, in third grade, (laughs) we were all like Uh selling Marvel masterpieces for a nickel or whatever. They had to like ban them. (laughs) Uh, But it's like everyone was just, so into x-men you go to pizza hut you get the vhs tape you get the comics and is that uh, the cartoon the cartoon did all that cartoon the cartoon that young it's not the comic books no the but car- then, like, the- I, I, i've never really watched
0: the cartoon because i am dumb and i shouldn't even be doing this podcast because i'm not qualified <laughs> well, but for, what, you what though, had- for you though that cartoon debuted when you were in college <laughs> just out of just out of college well i will say co- 1990 you weren't out of college Oh, uh, 92, I graduated. I thought I thought we yeah, were Yeah, so saying it is, it's October
1: 92 is when we graduated. Oh, it 92. Okay. Yeah. My okay. sister, who's 12 years old. i was older the streets me. looking
0: for works, trying to get this economy going. That's trying to save America <laughs> yeah. by working My sister for the newspapers in Connecticut.
1: You could have reviewed it for the newspaper.
0: <laughs> I should have, yeah. Gotten the word out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the middle of Connecticut press. would have loved. Yeah. <laughs> what happened this week in X Men? Will Hines' column <laughs> will let us know.
1: The first recapper.
0: but um but i have sort of just gleaned like that the x-men cartoon was a gateway for tons of people into the comic and also that it seems to be pretty lovingly done it seems like because sometimes sometimes you can get like saturday morning cartoon adaptations that are just like so done so shoddily that they either are good only accidentally but it looks like the x-men cartoon was trying to yeah. Be faithful to the books in ways it, that they thought they could.
1: Is the X-Men cartoon before Batman, the animated series? They debut like the same month.
0: So something was in the air, just like doing comics, yeah. like at Do least, at least right. putting care into it.
1: Well, and I, I think I, so for the, oh God, what was this? The 25th anniversary of X-Men in 2017, October, 2017 at, at work, I did a... I did a bunch of pieces about X-Men. One, I I interviewed the showrunners and directors and stuff about the serialized storytelling aspect of it and about, like, how they fought. They fought Fox to be like, we are doing serialized storytelling. That is the whole point of comic books. Like, all comic books have had cartoons for so long, but, like, Spider-Man and his amazing friends had no story arcs. I mean, Batman
0: Batman barely did. Batman had Two-Face, was maybe the only thing that, like built up to in that show
1: and so they were like we are doing this we are going to make it happen and then like and then they immediately fox was like you know if you do serialized storytelling and cartoons if production delays on episode two like happen then everything just backs up after that and that's exactly what happened
0: hmm, interesting <laughs>
1: because normally hmm. if you're just producing all of them simultaneously you just like episode nine's ready air at second episode ten's ready air at fifth you know yeah, yeah. But they couldn't do that with X Men, and so like it debuts in October '92, and then episode three doesn't debut until like January '93. Like it, they, <laughs> it, takes a while. They air supposed with mistakes, to
0: be, and it was supposed to be daily, right?
1: Monday, through uh, no, friday No, it, it was a weekly. It was like thirteen episodes oh, okay. uh, a season. It was like the way the Fox used to do it, not was like it the, a, Was it a Saturday morning cartoon? I yeah, it was yeah. No, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Uh, Central huh. Time.
0: Well, where was this cartoon in relation to this is maybe a dumb question but the disney <laughs> afternoon like DuckTales was out already what yeah, else yeah yeah
1: yeah ducktail well dark i think darkwing duck is probably the concurrent okay, that's one so, of the later the, so ones. it was deep
0: deep into um yeah uh disney. So disney afternoon probably really started like my alexa just chimed in i hope that didn't get recorded <laughs> um uh, so Disney Afternoon sort of like kicked off like good cartoons. I feel like in some way, yeah. and then like yeah, Tiny yeah, yeah. Toons probably also did that. I don't know when that was, but that's like X Men was part of that, and Batman was part of that. That's crazy how good cartoons got in very short order in that stretch.
1: And I, I likened like Batman was like art, like the art <laughs> style, like the the yeah. the film noir tone. X, I, feel, I always say, like, X-Men and Batman are equally good in just different directions. Um, X-Men is punk rock. Like, that cartoon, like, there are mistakes in the animation. It is sloppy at times, but it is intense. It is all emotion. It's a mm-hmm. lot of catharsis. It's just, like, a lot of, like, everything is at 10. It's Oasis, definitely, maybe. Like, it is, like, yeah. <laughs> we are here. Um, whereas, I don't know, like... I'm assuming like Batman's like uh, what Park Life or something. It's like it's a Blur album or a Radiohead album. Uh, I'll
0: I'll say Radiohead. Um, (laughs) In in comic book terms, X Men feels like Stan Lee, and Batman feels like Will Eisner.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like style
0: over (laughs) the stories don't need to be good, but it's like how well it's told is almost as important. And there's cool stories, but not always. It's just it's well done, and X Men is just like caught your eyeballs and and I think you guys are are talking um, about something that's really interesting, which is, like, the early 90s was this, like, renaissance of cartoons, um, Disney, Tiny Toons, Batman animated series, X-Men. And -hmm. I wonder if it's just, like, you could... I wonder if it's oversimplifying to say, like, okay, the 60s, Stan, Jack, and Steve reinvigorated superhero comics, and then it kind of dips. And then in the 80s, the kids who read that reinvigorated Marvel comics and did, like, modern versions of the 60s characters including yeah. Claremont and Byrne's X-Men. And then now in the early 90s, the TV executives, maybe just 10 years ago, they'd been obsessed with those comics. So they knew what it felt like to read Days of Future Past. And like, they're like, oh, I remember waiting like crazy to, you know, I'm guessing here, to to finish the Phoenix saga. Wouldn't it be cool to see if there's a way we can do a version of that for the yeah. kids watching this? And they yeah. did. And, 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 and just some sort of Bruce, Bruce Tim modernizing Batman. And just yeah. some sort of perfect storm where like, they were looking for programming for kids in the afternoon, which did not exist before that. Really, what if there's a technology thing, like maybe making cartoons got maybe you know just something with computers or some sort of thing? Yeah, made X-Men it just a little bit stuff. more accessible or something like yeah. that. Yeah,
1: and it was well, and also you're coming off of 1991 where Marvel released Spider-Man number one, X-Force number one, and X-Men number one that all like were selling millions, like Guinness mm-hmm. record, and so. In 91 is when that spectator bubble happens. And so by, you know, a year and a half later, you're seeing the X-Men cartoon debut. You're seeing Batman maybe debut. Maybe that's enough to
0: sell it to the execs who don't yeah, care. Like, oh,
1: the kids some... are buying this stuff? Yeah, do it. And yeah. then they don't know that they're giving the keys to, like, these actual people that care way yeah. more yeah. <laughs> than they ever could have thought. They would just hand it to anyone to make an X-Men cartoon. Who cares? They're all cats? Sure.
0: <laughs> so, no, when, when when in here do you be... Oh, go ahead, Kevin. No, no, you go. Well, when When does this result brett and you becoming comic book collector obsessive is it this right away sort of yeah
1: it's by march 93 i'm insane i okay. i i, I I've, never stopped basically it, it, no i mean i have the i read comics all the time uh my Thoughts on the current X-Men line are complicated <laughs> and a whole bag of worms. But it sounds <laughs> no. like even in your voice, I can hear, you know, that
0: there's a lot of personal, personal, emotional stuff going on. Like, you're maybe not evaluating it 100% unbiased, right? Like Yeah,
1: I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't stop. I never stopped reading until the pandemic, essentially. Uh and then I'm like, I've like let, I've like lapsed, and I still have a lot of stuff I need to catch up on. But I never stopped. I even when I the Grant Morrison run when I was a god sophomore, junior in high school, sure uh, tested me. That's when I kind of dropped, or I was still buying them but not reading them. And- well,
0: that's when you were sixty five. Well, just yeah. <laughs> let me think. Yeah, <laughs> Let's put yeah, yeah. I was into my fourth career. I was
1: overseas in Europe helping to map the <laughs> the uh, Alps. Yeah. All right. Um, I didn't like that just because of a uh, personal, you know, repressed. Uh Grant Morrison. I mean, this ties into X Factor 84. Grant Morrison was not reverent of character histories and personalities enough. So okay. I was uh, angry about that.
0: <laughs> uh, and I'm going to talk about one more thing before we get into the comics. So so you've turned this into a career of sorts. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, uh, you, what was the first comic booky, or at least comic book adjacent career you had? So
1: like spring 2008, I got a job at Wizard Magazine. I worked in the conventions department. And it was my very first day of work. Like they hired me. I was the assistant editor of conventions because they wanted to bring a more editorial comic book knowledge voice. Because before that, the Wizard World conventions were run by like the accountants. Like it okay. was it was like the numbers and money people. And they wanted someone who actually cared about comics to be like, what creators should we invite? What programming should we have? My first day, they were like, we want Chris Claremont to come to Wizard World Philadelphia. Call him and invite him. My first day, I'm having to call Chris Claremont. (laughs) Did he go? Yeah, yeah, he went, and that's where I got like my (laughs) autograph. Like it was, it was a fun, it was a fun job because of the people. It was incredibly. We're
0: incredibly close friends with Chris Claremont. Yeah, we're best friends with him now.
1: Oh yeah, he was on, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. Now he he rooms with Will on uh, uh, every third weekend. (laughs) Yeah, he comes to LA, LA and hangs oh. out,
1: crashes on the couch. I
0: I doubt he remembers doing the interview. But um we did have, enough, <laughs> have a, a a nicely intense interview with Chris Claremont. I do imagine him um, just showing up at Will's door one day. Hey, you said it whenever I was in town. Yeah. I, don't remember, I don't remember saying
1: that, but come on yeah, in. I would let him in. That's a sitcom right there. I would watch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I was at Wizard for a year, and Wizard and then I parlayed that into just being a freelance comic book journalist for eight years yeah you worked for
0: comic book resources for a while yeah marvel.com
1: uh, comic book resources mtv splash page and now uh, you're at decider yeah that was 20 uh april 2017 i finally got that full-time money D-
0: deciders yeah. the first full-time job you've had
1: uh, uh in, of that in stretch journalism yeah well oh, wow. yeah cbr was close and then it got shady at the end yeah uh
0: what sorry when it, And it pivoted to video like everyone else. Uh, It was was rough. (laughs) um, So you're at the Cider now. And now you don't just do comic books. You do television and uh, movies and and mascots and whatever you want. (laughs) And Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart. You have your weekly Bob Newhart (laughs) check-in.
1: I like uh, within arm's reach. I just have all this yeah. stuff: Bob Newhart biography, Star Wars yeah, stuff.
0: A lot of the references we're making to Brett, he is just periodically grabbing merch and just <laughs> showing it to us at <laughs> camera. It's pretty. It's, I gotta say, it is impressive. <laughs> he mostly you're like a, merch. you're like a pop culture harpo.
1: <laughs> all his merch
0: is for stuff that is like before our time. Well, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. like the original Newhart and, and Adam's Family and Heart to Heart, and it's, yeah, it's, it's not what's wrong it with me.
1: This is because we live in a garbage time. I hate, this time. <laughs> I hate this time. Um, but yeah, like I my my main beats are uh Marvel, Star Wars, and Drag Race. Like those are the things I worry about the most. Okay. Um yeah. But yeah, like I, I cover all the Marvel Disney shows. Uh what
0: would usually, you say those three
1: things have in common? Uh dense lore and rabid fan bases.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: code names and <laughs> yeah that's Uh, true
0: uh uh alter egos
1: yeah i mean Um, and it all uh
0: and the rebels rising up against the empire
1: see yeah fantastic Uh, fantastic hair and great costumes i i did uh turn the 90s marvel uh, trading card game overpower into a drag race card game for my friends uh for our summer vacation (laughs) because that's what i do for us is do Make who
0: Elaborate is, card games. <laughs> after not counting X Men, remove all the mutants from from the table. Who's the next superhero? Uh, I, 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 forgetting the MCU, even like your second favorite comic book superhero, like who, Daredevil who, who, and who, She-Hulk. Okay, great. You so an ready, you were, you were so, so yeah, ready. no, for but that. like
1: I. You're like Shut
0: up, Kevin. I've got the God answer. Damn,
1: I know they're lawyers. If you are a superhero <laughs> lawyer, I love you. No, I, I love them. I love, I love, I love Daredevil. Some, I mean, just, I have a Daredevil hot toy up there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Awesome. Uh, um, yeah. Uh okay. are you a Daredevil fan from the Frank
0: Miller days or
1: is it All of the, it. I mean every... That's the thing I love about Daredevil is you can pick up any issue and they are... It's just... For some reason that character brings out the best of whoever is writing him. Like the Andesinti, uh Ramita Jr. run is yep. surreal and incredibly political and just wild. Well, I think Marvel they were publishes. following the
0: Frank Miller were, David yeah. Mazzicelli born again so they had like the, the whole Daredevil world got blown up in this yeah. like critically and commercially acclaimed blockbuster comic book series. And then it's like, all right, Ann, now you write something. So now, she probably did have to swing kind of big to like, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like now Daredevil takes on environmental disasters and toxic waste and gang violence. <laughs> it's just like, God, um, Dare,
0: Daredevil is also interesting. Uh, he's not necessarily my favorite character, but he has been one of the most consistently well-written Marvel characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a long, long time, it's for crazy. the past
1: twenty years he has been. Let's guess good. why.
0: I think because he's not so big <laughs> that he has too many eyes from like uh, money counters on him, right? Right, right. like, like Spider-Man, Spider-Man being too yes. big. Yeah, he's got to have like an event every now and then. He's got to like spin off other characters. Like Spider-Man's got too much weight on his shoulders, but Daredevil is like just big enough without being that big. I think.
1: Yeah, Daredevil is essentially Marvel's. Batman I feel like is like similar but, in terms but of has but
0: Batman has but, the problem of all the weight of being Batman.
1: Yeah. Well also like Batman is like hella rich and <laughs> you know, like daredevil is like, take Batman, but then make him like incredibly relatable burdened with self-loathing <laughs> makes all the worst decisions. And yeah, it's he's like, a, oh, he's
0: like a, a middle-class Batman. Yeah. Um, or maybe even maybe even work in class. And but if Daredevil got too popular, even that wouldn't matter. Cause then he would have to he would have to have like uh, every Marvel Knights like character would have to be very connected to Daredevil stories. It would all be Shadowlands, which maybe yeah. is the only dud moment in like the last 20 years. Maybe yeah. maybe Daredevil also the mythology is sort of lean. And this is yeah. part of maybe not being so big. It's like, you know, Kingpin, Hell's Kitchen, uh yeah. the ninja stuff, and you, you're you've you're almost got it. Like, yeah, and, there and, isn't, and, yeah. Before Frank Miller, it was mostly like Spider Man villains showing up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Miller, like, established Jared, Abel, from what I can tell. Yeah.
1: And Miller brought in Kingpin and, you know, like, beefed up Bullseye and created yeah. Electra. So, like, yeah, he did. It just brought everything.
0: in the noir But, but unlike, yeah. the, 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 the X
1: Men did a similar thing,
0: right? The X Men became big later on, but the X Men just had the problem of getting so big. That they became also X Force and New Mutants and other X Men titles and X Factors and. And exterminators, and yeah. uh, and it's just like it, it's too hard to say consistent when you're so big and sprawling. It's like, are all the X-Men books good? No, never. They're never all good. They couldn't well, possibly be.
1: We're, I mean, no, that's what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Them fighting words, Kevin. So, so should we take a break <laughs> and just get into, and then we'll come back and start talking about X Factor '84, part two of the execution of the saga, two yes. of twelve. <laughs>
1: Um, so yes, fun.
0: I'm very excited why why this was chosen. <laughs> right. Find out why it's on Brett's Wall. Oh uh, my uh, god. Yeah, let's take a break. We'll come right back. Let's take our fake Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at Screw It or tweet at us at Screw So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, we might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. Um, We're here with Brett White. We're going to talk about X-Factor 84. I love Um, that uh, that you picked a comic... (laughs) That is part two of like whatever fourteen part storyline. 12,
1: Twelve, come oh, on! Sorry, it's IU. not a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is so funny. It is such a funny choice. Uh, the, the second part, I think, in most stories is uh, is often generally like, all right, we've set it up. Now we'll just have to kind of uh, pad it out
1: so we can get to the end with <laughs> the climax. You pick part that two. Happens, it's so interesting. That happens. Executioner song, like chapters like seven through nine, is Great. that. It starts off. I mean, this is the second. It's great. Oh, my God. So give us a brief Uh, explanation of what
0: the Executioner Saga is (laughs) and then why you picked this story from it. Brief, because I think you can go in-depth.
1: I know, because I was going to say okay, I'm going to go very fast. Uh, so there's both the behind the scenes and then the on the page. The behind the scenes is X-Men was relaunched in 1991, had all these great big artists and they all were like, peace out, we're going to Image. And so they had to bring in all these like new talents. And so Executioner's song happens, right? as like Andy Kubert's taking over, Brandon Peterson, Jay Lee, Greg Capullo. It's like, who are these guys? Uh, and so what I love about Executioner's song is that it takes all four of the main X-Books, to x- Uncanny, X-Men, X-Force, and x Factor. at this point all of them have hit their stride they all have different reasons for existing and one event strife posing as cable trying to assassinate professor x at a central park concert just completely throws it pays off all of the stuff that we have been waiting to see happen for about a year and a half like since the line was relaunched in 91 and it is just great. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you to go back even a little bit further um, or a little
0: bit broader. So, yeah, what happened in 91? Like- oh, so,
1: like, that is when... Uh, so, like, that's when, like... Oh, God. So, they relaunched uh, New Mutants into X-Force uh, because Rob Liefeld had come on. And he created all these characters. And they were like, he's has nothing but energy. Give him something to do. Uh, they. They split the X-Men up. The X-Men had been, for like five years, had been this amorphous, uh, a bunch of like solo stories of a loose conglomeration of like barely allies. Like it was just a whole bunch of one shots. There was no team for like three to five years. And 91 is when they were like, no, we're bringing everyone back. They're moving back to the mansion. We're going to have gold team and blue team. Um,
0: And they relaunched. they kept uncanny x-men but then they launched x-men number one adjective 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 list
1: x-men number one with jim lee and chris claremont it's chris claremont's last hurrah uh before leaving for about 15 or about 10 years um and then x-factor x-factor becomes it was originally the book that the five original x-men were in uh but when all this happens it's like okay we have these leftovers And so they just put them all on X Factor. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me, I've
0: already lost track. Tell oh. me again at this point at at, at X Factor eighty four, the issue we're going to talk about. What are the yeah. four titles and what is their general role?
1: Okay, so there is Uncanny X Men, which is the one that's been running since nineteen sixty three. It stars the Gold Team, which is cons- which consists of like the OG, more of the like established that's like wolverine You're,
0: storm stuff well
1: i mean it's it's storm gene gray archangel iceman uh bishop and colossus so it's okay. it's it, i don't know it's kind of like you should um, know all those
0: but bishop right well yes all but bishop that's right yeah
1: uh and then x-men blue team is just like the i don't know anything about basketball but i'm assuming it's like the, what the 92 dream team <laughs> okay it's what x-men blue is to me because it is cyclops beast psylocke rogue jubilee wolverine and gambit and it's just like yeah those are all the cool characters okay Uh, and what's that
0: title that is just no adjective
1: x-men that's just x-men we generally get to pick which
0: characters he had in his
1: book i think i think that makes the most sense Okay, (laughs) because he also redes well no he redesigned all of them um and then So, like, that is the status quo at this point is there are two teams of X-Men. Adjective lists are a little bit edgier. Normal (laughs) are, like, classic. Uncanny is more classic. And then there are the the splinter books. So X-Force originally started out as New Mutants in 1980. Um, they were the teens. They were the new students. They were all younger. They were like very green. They were learning about their powers. They looked okay. up to the X Men, et cetera. Mm-hmm. By the time 1990, 91 comes along, they're all, you know, 18, 19. They've fallen in with this paramilitary time traveling cyborg <laughs> called Cable, who's like, there's a future war coming. You all need to man up, pussies. Like, <laughs> basically, yeah, that's the vibe. That old trope. Um, yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, uh, Xavier abandoned us. Uh, Mag- then he handed us over to Magneto and then Magneto abandoned us as headmaster. Uh, Cable came along and actually cares about us or says he does and is actually paying attention. We're going with him. And so that's where X-Force comes in. It's okay. like this clean break. And the, X- the X-Men proper thinks that like Cable is a terrorist. They're like, <laughs> which makes sense. He came in and he like grabbed all the kids and we're like, they're all mine they all they're all carrying guns now, you know, like, uh, no one, they have every reason to suspect him. Um, and so there is this weird schism between the X-Men and essentially like the kids, like these kids that they watched, uh, grow up and whatnot. And then the book you picked X-Factor. And then there's X-Factor. So. (laughs) And
0: that's the leftovers.
1: Yeah. I mean, X-Factor is this. So, Starting in like 1980 or so, the government in the Marvel Universe was like, well, we need a team of mutants. I I don't know why, but they were like, we definitely need a team of mutants. And so they had Freedom Force, which was just the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, like on parole, (laughs) which is just like the dumbest idea. (laughs) And so, So that is that for a long time. And so then Freedom Force, obviously uh doesn't work out and they're like okay well maybe we should do this with superheroes and so that is where uh val cooper who is the government liaison like recruits havoc and polaris who are you know kind of like b-list x-men like they've almost been a list for a long time right, right. And they're like you're yeah. gonna okay you're the leaders of it um here's this uh jamie madrox guy if he hit him he Multiplies. Uh, he's just been a lab tech on Muir Island and he has a weird sense of humor. Cool. Uh oh, here's Lila Cheney, the rock star's bodyguard, who is just all torso and tiny legs. And he also can't stop making jokes. Sure. Um, and then here's Wolfsbane, the only member of the New Mutants who didn't join X-Force. And she is uh sexually repressed, but has also been. Romantically and mentally bonded to Havoc. Right. Through a Genotian <laughs> mutate program. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's horny for Havoc and doesn't know how to do, deal with it. And also, it isn't by her choice that she's horny for Havoc.
0: Got it. Um, okay. Horny for so Havoc. So yeah. now
1: I feel. And then I do, also, I feel and Quicksilver. And Quicksilver. And Quicksilver. And Quicksilver, who like shows up and is like, oh, I'm not wearing a team uniform. I'm not going to live with you guys. I'll show up when I want to. That's Magneto's sign-up if I've ever heard it.
0: Yeah. I will say what, one thing about X-Factor, I was not reading X-Men books at this time. Uh, um, I had read Mutants for a very brief period, and when it became x, more x force before it became X-Force, I stopped reading it. It was just not for me. But I did start reading X-Factor because I read everything Peter David did. And uh, it was a very strange book to read because I didn't know any of those characters. I maybe knew Havoc. I didn't know anyone else. It was pretty good. And then I remember this storyline... I remember like this crossover happening, and me just be, uh, being like, "Well, I don't want to buy the other parts. Yeah. I hope it's short or something." Because I just and I had no idea what was going on. And then Peter David leaves like a couple issues later. No,
1: because like this pissed him off. He's like, "I had stuff going, and then you guys interrupted it. I don't yeah. want to do this anymore." Uh, so for me, like uh, X Factor was like, "Oh, this is
0: kind of this weird, quirky book. Uh, maybe I'll like it." And it was like getting better, and there's good moments and high moments. Uh, and I hadn't quite it hadn't quite completely hooked me. And then like uh, this big crossover and then all of a sudden I pick up an issue and it's written by Scott Lobdell and I'm like, oh, I'll stop buying
1: this. Yeah, but like what – so of all of them, like the two X-Men books are superhero comics. Mm -hmm. Uncanny is more like an 80s X-Men comic. X-Men is more like a 90s superhero comic. X-Force is the most 90s superhero comic. And then X-Factor is kind of like – uh I don't know, like if um the Cohen brothers and Aaron Sorkin teamed up to write like a government. I've always said like the Cohen brothers are the people that should make an X Factor movie. Like the burn after reading vibe of because it's like the book knows that these are losers. I mean Guido joins the team and his name is Guido, and they're like, you have to pick a code name. We've they, like they're three issues into the run, and they're like, "We're having a press conference to introduce the entire team." Your name is Guido. What is your code name? And then on stage, he's like, "I'm Strong Guy," <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that is the tone. It's very, it's very Giffen, Dematteis, uh, Maguire, Justice League International.
0: Which now you're talking our language.
1: Yeah. Okay, which, so Giffen and D. Matisse take over X Factor after uh, Peter David and Scott Lobdell wait really uh or just one of them it might be like I just Tisa i just,
0: i don't think giffen does it
1: yeah but it, it's it's still very good um yeah
0: okay so known that <laughs> so um
1: why this issue <laughs> so <laughs> oh god um <laughs> you killed him <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm dead i just love it so much so like when i first read this obviously we I mean, if you read it as a kid and love it you're always gonna love it uh yes This issue to me encapsulates everything that is perfect about the X-Men at this period in time, because it takes the 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 essentially the three main branches, because there are two X-Men books. It takes X-Men, X-Force and X-Factor, and it just pushes them all together and compares and contrasts and just plays with all of the characters and their history in such a fun, fascinating way. Like when I was a kid reading this, I was like, I, this, there's so much, I knew, who, who are, like, it was just this, yeah. like, you read this issue and Peter David does such a good job of just insinuating there's just so much history here.
0: Yes, I'll say that as somebody who has barely read any 90s Marvel <laughs> uh, and is only reading the Claremont run of X-Men now, <laughs> um, uh, with some exception, to read this issue... <laughs> It was the single most confusing (laughs) superhero comics issue I have ever read. By page three, I was like, there is no way that I'm going to know what's going on. And I was correct. It was passionate and fun. I I hear that. But um, I mostly was thinking, I got to hear from Brett what it is about this book that is connecting with him. And so what I'm hearing, I think, is the density for you is part of it. Like that's exciting to you. Like the fact that there are, so many characters crammed into these pages. I get not crammed. I can see that like Peter David is addressing everything.
1: And it's but also you're, you're, just you
0: enjoy that dance.
1: I, yeah, I it's it's what I love about the X Men about X Men is character. Like, I don't really give a shit about plot, I care about character. And what I love about Peter David is he's able to only five or six of these characters are his essentially. He has X-Force in here and he writes a great X-Force. He has Cannonball's voice down. He has Shatterstar's voice down. Boom, boom, Richter, like feral, Like he somehow, this is, a lot of comic book writers don't do that.
0: This is Peter <laughs> David at the height of his powers, which is a strong, he had a long stretch where right? I think he was at the height yeah. of his powers. But like, this is like from, from like mid Hulk till like, uh, when he finished oh, up, Captain uh,
1: Marvel run, I loved his Captain Marvel run was really yeah. great.
0: His Aquaman Supergirls and his l- latter day X Factor stuff was really good. And then somewhere near mm-hmm. the end, I think he he just loses a couple steps. Uh, he's still good, I think. Uh, but like he just 25 years of
1: perfection, <laughs>
0: he was very good, especially at character stuff. Um, uh, sometimes his humor was a little dumb, but uh, as oh. a kid, I loved it.
1: Can we talk? So, like, the other thing is like, this- I still laugh out loud (laughs) at so many of the jokes in this i mean like the one of like so boom boom was on a team with uh wolf spain she knows wolf spain is like the hella repressed young catholic girl and then she's like oh i'm sorry rick i lost my head i you got me too worked up and then boom Boom boom's like rain getting worked up what next mother Teresa working at a strip joint (laughs) which you're reading that in third grade you're like that is Hilarious. (laughs) Hilarious. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the,
0: the character moments, though. That 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 either enticed you or reached out to you. What are some of the great okay. character moments in this story?
1: So, I I first of all, I, I'm going to have to like gloss over things. No, that's I fine. Get, that's I totally my. every single one. Um. So the first one that I really love is when they're at the hospital. There's also something about those first like three or four pages. And so they're at the
0: hospital because Charles Xavier has, been, has
1: shot. been shot. And so like, it really, to me, captures the feeling of you and your like family are all like, you've all gathered at a hospital because someone that you love is, you don't know what's yeah. going to happen. And it has this for only a couple pages. It really does capture this feel of like, we're waiting around. We're like anxious. What's going on? Guido shows up, <laughs> strong guy. He busts in and they're like, you just heard, I've been calling you for hours. And he's there with, with his, with a woman, not even his girlfriend, just like a woman that he's like, has been hooking up with. He's like, Oh, I turned my headset off. Uh, <laughs> I was my request. I didn't what interruptions. Did I cupcake? And I love that. But then like,
0: and that is a reveal to everybody that they just are like, at least okay, well, having a twist.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, well, you didn't show up because you were fucking this woman. Cool. Yeah. Um, but it's then immediately moment, after yeah. that Havoc is like, <laughs> oh my God, like Wolfsbane will not calm down. Just, we need to get her out of here. Guido, take her somewhere. And then he's like, why me? And then Havoc says, because I ordered you to, cupcake. And it's just great. Um, <laughs> There's a really good, so another character moment that I love about this entire issue is Havoc was an X-Man. Like Havoc was an X-Man for a good chunk of the 80s. Like he was a peer to Wolverine and Colossus and Storm. And now like, they haven't seen each other for a while. Like, he's been off doing X-Factor stuff, and now they're seeing him, and he's in charge of F-Troop, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there is this constant undercurrent of just like, God, stop embarrassing me in front of the people that I used to be on a team with.
0: You that, guys. Is, that is kind of like Batman heading Justice League International. Yeah. under In the <laughs> yeah era. Like, one of the OG – I mean, it's it's more pronounced with Batman, but somebody who's used to running with the A-team is is leading the yes. C-team.
1: And, like, the very last page, when the X-Men show up to, like, get things going, um, Beast is like, if we nail X-Force, then we get Cable. And then Strong Guy says, oh, good, including HBO and maybe the Disney Channel for Rain. And then Havoc's like, quiet, you're embarrassing me.
0: <laughs> it's just
1: <laughs> – I love that. Um, I I also – I love everything – the New Mutants, so y'all are experiencing this right now with like that 1975 to 80 X-Men team feels like a family. Right. Like Claremont did such a good job of building all of these mm-hmm. relationships and dynamics. Like, you know what a Storm and Colossus scene is like in a Wolverine mm-hmm. and Nightcrawler scene. The New Mutants to me have that exact same uh, vibe. And so splitting them off into X-Force and keeping Wolfsbane away from them when she's dropped back into this uh, X-Force world and she's like, these are my friends. These are my peers. And I just, I love all those interactions. I love her kissing Richter. I love Richter being jealous of Havoc. I love, <laughs> I love Cannibal being like, we will turn ourselves in if you agree to join us. Like, we miss you. You're my best friend. Like, come on. I love that. I love those little tiny moments. like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm just cackling over and over. So, the, so there's, like, old friends with deep roots is, is is at play in this story.
1: Yeah, and I think that, like, Peter David's writing and those, like, little nods, like, even when when they go to Central Park, because which is where Professor X was assassinated, and they're like, they, you're,
0: X, X Factor. X yeah, Factor goes yeah. to... Uh,
1: when Wolfbane and Strong Guy go, because Wolfbane seems to get out and Strong Guy is essentially like has her on the leash or whatever, <laughs> Strong Guy's is radi- radioing back to Havoc and is like, oh, we're, there's nothing here. Oh, fuck, X-Force just showed up. Havoc's response to that is like, oh, my God, the, of course, rain is going to run into X-Force. Like, Havoc knows. Oh God. Rain was on a team with them for 10 years. This is not going to go well. She's not going to keep cool. She's not going to hide. She's gone. Yeah. Uh, and I just love that. I love it so much. The battle is super fun too. All the fighting, all the like, uh, Shatterstar versus Quicksilver and Quicksilver is just like, I hate you. I'm moving so slow. <laughs> I love, I love Brett. You're just dropping these
0: names and you see Will just sort of nodding. He has no idea who Shatterstar is. <laughs> I didn't or... before
1: this issue. I mean,
0: I, I apologize because I I do not deserve to be discussing this or interviewing <laughs> you. But I I wish you could have seen my face reading this issue. Just I, so I didn't think it was bad or good. I was like I have no idea. how <laughs> Who is you, your favorite this, character? But,
1: who did you respond? Who did, did you mean, like? I I knew any? who Cannonball was, so I was excited <laughs> yeah. to
0: see Cannonball. Well, um, it is funny because I did uh, read a lot of the New Mutants. Weirdly, I never read X Men for some reason. I read a lot of the. Wilson Kevitt's oil painting, oh, yes. New Mutant yeah. Sarah. So, you know, I knew Rain, I knew um, Sam. Um, did I know anybody else? So I'm I couldn't believe there, a there was a guy second. named Guido. Yep. Um, So I was sort of fascinated by that. Uh, and It is funny to go from like where we are right now, in our read is <clears throat> Days of Future Past, where it's like what a team of like seven. Yeah to get to this point where it's a team of like <clears throat> 30, like 30 yeah. 35 for it's 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 exploded so much. It is crazy. It feels sort of, and I am not qualified to make this assessment, like anime. Like when I watch like anime or read manga, they're um I'm thinking of something like Akira. Yeah. Or, um so, something with a vast mythology. And if you pick like an issue, you're like, what's happening with robot dog and why is this city's gone now or what it's like this might be like watching like an an episode from the last season of game of thrones yeah as your first episode yeah it is kind
1: of yeah avengers in the game there's some of these
0: characters i know uh but i don't really know yeah i i i I know some of these characters i've picked up on some of this i've gleaned some of this but there's some i don't understand what's going on is so much When they see X-Force in Central Park and it's like a big deal, like I think somebody looks up and they're like, oh, no. And then they cut to X-Force arriving. I'm like, and who are these people? (laughs) (laughs) But But like in
1: context, you've waited a year and a half for like. We now have a government mutant team and an outlaw mutant team. They've got to interact at some point, and this is them finally doing I mean, it. And it is—it awesome.
0: is—it is what like made Infinity War, the MCU Infinity War movie, so great. It's like getting to see yeah. these characters interact with each other that we've spent some time with that have never met. Like seeing Thor meet the Guardians and seeing yes. uh, Star Lord butt heads with Iron Man and what have you. It's like, oh yeah, it's great to see these. These characters that we know inside and out because they've all had movies, now meet each other and see, well, what happens when you put these two in the same room together? What happens when you send Rocket and Groot off with Thor on an adventure? What's that yeah. adventure like? And it's it's very fun to see that assuming that you love those characters, or I mean, I think Infinity War does a decent job of like giving you little introduction. If you haven't met these characters, they kind of introduce you. you. Hopefully you know some of them, but you don't need to know all of them. <laughs> this book doesn't, doesn't hold your hand as much. It's sort of oh, just, no. there's no way. It's like, you. we've got to assume you know these guys. We'll remind you their names. <laughs> well, it's just like, there, there is they, they do a, a good job, I can see now, of summarizing it. Now that Brett has like oriented me, but there's no, <laughs> no way of knowing like, okay, here's Val Cooper. She's got a badge but Rain slaps it out of her hand because she's standing in between her and professor X. Yeah. And so she turns into a werewolf and runs by Val <laughs> Cooper. Um, but I'm like, okay, is, is that the first time we're meeting Val Cooper? Um, <laughs> uh, has Rain not been a werewolf in public for a while? Is that a, do, do mutants run around hospitals in their werewolf mode now? Um, it was kind of, it was kind of fun to be thrown into it. Actually. I sort of enjoyed the ride yeah. in a strange way. <laughs> And the, and
1: is, I also think that this is the height of from like when I think of all these characters this is their personality. This is who, who drew this issue? Jay Lee. It's early Jay Lee.
0: Early Jay Lee doesn't look anything I think of Jay Lee I think of like as in Humans book yeah. uh, that he does much later on. I think uh, he'd this. done
1: some Name More and now he got X-Factor. He only did the Executioner song arc. Um right. but like what I also love about this is the art is oh, well, I mean, it's insane. I mean, like it is just <laughs> like uh, yeah. This is also the era. But this is also yeah.
0: the era when like artists are being told to draw like Leafield and McFarlane, right? Like yeah. they're being like pushed in that direction. If they if they didn't already draw that way, they're being said like try to do this stuff. Flash.
1: And like Jay Lee is still like he's doing that, but it's still oh, yeah, like, a little bit. It's it's like if. Sinkevich and Leifeld like had this Yes, weird I, I could see that. Baby. It's very abstract
0: <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> and like the, the camera angles, for lack of a better word, <laughs> from panel to panel are drastic. Like, yeah, you're close up on somebody's face, next shot has a wide shot of 13 people in a hallway or something it, like that. It, it feels to me like Jay Lee is doing a good job because he's a good artist, but this is not the sort of story he wants to draw. He doesn't want to draw like a 50 character oh. action scene, but he's a good enough artist that he's going to be able to pull
1: it off. And when he also is really good at so like there's another so like even when I I read this even when I read this the first time I didn't understand all the references but like there's (laughs) this page where Havoc and Polaris finally show up and Havoc like screams at them like you're not going to be given a free pass like you were last time and then Polaris is like thanks for rubbing my nose in that Havoc and that's because uh, like nine issues earlier Lorna could have arrested Cannonball and was just like "Ah, go away like so that is him literally like calling out his girlfriend right there and what i love is like jaylee's art kind of conveys that she looks very like oh my god thanks
0: yeah thanks man two.
1: cool and havoc's like screaming <laughs> i just love it so much uh
0: yeah jaylee's oh. great um yeah I, I when i opened this up and saw that jaylee was drawing it i was very excited and i read it and i was like this isn't what i was expecting <laughs> uh but it does remind me of like what this comic felt like—it's similar to what Strowman was doing, on his Larry Strowman oh, yeah. was the the regular artist on X Factor. Um, and so Too... it was similar in that style, though. Uh, it yeah, wasn't never it was never his. my style. Like, I didn't love the art in X Factor ever during this run, but it just wasn't for me. Like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't like, like
1: it when I was a kid, but as an adult, I love Larry Strowman's artwork because it's so weird. <laughs> I
0: feel like I, um, uh, even though I was whatever a teenager. When all these hot artists hit, like I, w- I felt more like I was ten years older in comic book reading time, and I was like, ah, "Too flashy. <laughs> Give me some John Romita, Gil Kane, Sal <laughs> Give me some draftsman in there." <laughs> um, uh, but Jay Lee is great. There's no question. It looks, it's, um, to my uh amateur eye, like chaotic, like, uh, like frenetic like just yeah. like e- even a panel just of two people talking to each other the teeth are gritted and the veins are popping and like um the the a lot of the backgrounds are just pastel colors so oh, yeah. it's 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 you're not 100 percent clear where you are you don't necessarily it kind, I, mean, I, mean, I had like, no chance of knowing what's going on anyway but like <laughs> it added it added to this feeling of fever dream to me <laughs> Will, what did you think at the end when the villain uh shows up I was like, "Have we not seen a villain before?" <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, "Oh, I mean, I could tell it's like, oh, this is a big baddie." But I was like, "Who? Was that there is, no bad guys?" <laughs> that is the character that uh, Mr. Sinister will that Chris Claremont described as a, a child, a child's idea of what a villain should look like. Remember, yeah. when you told that story, will I to do. us? I do. That is the character, Mr. Sinister. By the, uh, time, by the time by the time we finish with this podcast, Kevin, I'll finally be ready to start the podcast. I mean, I I barely know who Mister <laughs> Sinister is, and I've read comics with him in it. I I still can't quite get him, but
1: that's what I love about him is he's just <laughs> he's just ridiculous. <laughs> Did this
0: storyline the Executioner Saga overall by part twelve? Is it a satisfying ending yes. for Brett White?
1: Yes, it is. I mean, it is my favorite X Men uh, crossover. Oh wow! But um, I and I think that is because like this issue embodies everything that I love about this crossover is that it is like these four books at like the peak of their powers and all the mm-hmm. creators at like hitting their stride with all of the, all of the books have such a clear reason for existing, which like a couple years after this, not so much, you know, like it's just yeah. generic superhero. No, soap we, soap we've but, we've like, seen that
0: even in the early eighties with the Spider-Man titles, they did not yeah. have a super clear identity. Some, sometimes they wouldn't, sometimes they wouldn't, that would sort of come and go. They would try to, and it, it would fade out pretty quickly. Be like, "This yeah. is where we're going to focus on uh, Peter uh, in his reporting side," and it's like, "Okay, for one one arc, yeah, yeah." And then you're know, like, "He's just fighting some, the vulture."
1: Yeah, and that's why I think like Executioner's song works so well is because like all these characters are so well defined at this point. Like the law has been building up to it, and then like the ending of it has, a, but a ton of ramifications, and that. I mean, it really did change the entire like a major, major stuff about the. I mean, we find out. I mean, I don't know why I'm avoiding spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoil away. Well, like at this point, we had no idea that Cable was Cyclops' son. Um, okay, that's we, not known yet. It was like this weird. They thought it was because okay. Oh, uh, Will, you're gonna love this. <laughs> um, so Cable has a twin clone he has a clone uh named Good. strife and so strife is the one that tried to assassinate professor x but he had his helmet off so everyone thought it was cable um and that's why they're no one else really knows that strife no one knows that strife looks like cable so that is why there's confusion okay so strife uh kidnaps cyclops and Jean gray who are nominally you know his parents because he's Cable's clone or whatever, and he he kidnaps and them. they are Cable's parents. Well, yeah, they are. Okay. C- yeah, I got that. He he kidnaps them, takes them to the moon, uh, <laughs> never takes off his helmet, keeps force feeding them baby food, and <laughs> and like monologuing about like the sins of the father. <laughs> like, honest, but he's like this almost like weird passive aggressive. Like, <laughs> what are you trying to tell us?
0: <laughs> is... Is Rachel Summers also
1: Jean Grey and Scott's child, or is she Madeline yeah. Pryor's child? God, no, the Cable is Madeline Pryor's child. Um, oh, It just okay. is so much easier to just say it's Jean Grey because <laughs> okay. there's too many clones. Is, um, and Madeline Pryor is a clone of Jean Grey? Yeah, Madeline Pryor is Mr. Sinister's clone of Jean Grey. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, that, but that. so like, this is the one that like, there have been all this like fan rumor and stuff about like, what's the deal with Cable and Strife, which one's really his son? Strife is really his son, because he's the villain and that's cool. But like, this is where you find out like, no, Cable is most likely, yeah, that's, that's his son. I'm gonna uh, ask a real a, dumb
0: question. Yeah. <gasps> when this issue came out, people, the book was popular, right? Like lots oh, of people God, yes. reading this book. Like yeah. huge, huge numbers, right? X Probably Men is still dominant in the five hundred thousand
1: people or more. I mean, so would they
0: read this book and they'd all talk to each other. Like, can you believe that when they got to Central Park, the X yeah. Force was there and like, yeah, and wow, wasn't that weird to see Rain just totally make out with uh, Havoc uh, out of nowhere? Uh, sorry, Richter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richter, I thought you said that she was romantically connected to Havoc. Well,
1: but. she when she yeah yeah when she was on New Mutants, she was like kind of flirting with uh, Richter, and they were like quasi a thing. And then oh, so because uh, of her
0: bonding to Havoc, her like sexuality has been unleashed or something. Yeah, she's
1: like amped, awoken. Up. Okay, yeah, and uh, that's why everyone's like, whoa, why is she? Because yeah, she's making like out the Catholic
0: Irish lass who was yeah, like yeah. very moral. I love
1: her so much. God. I love all these characters so fucking Has She come much. out as bisexual? No. Or... No, that's like every other oh. uh Victor Richter, Richter is. Yeah, Richter is a uh, gay now. Him and Shatterstar are a long-term couple. Right. Okay. Um and they're in this and Shatterstar is just so great. God.
0: When's the last time you read this issue, Brett?
1: Uh, oh,
0: like sat down and read it.
1: Maybe like within the last like year and a half, probably. Okay.
0: And it still holds them um, for
1: you? Like I, I find that yeah, to be true. And I love it, you know,
0: when I read Amazing Spider-Man 33, I love it. Like when I read yeah, just, John Byrne stuff that I read as a kid, I love it.
1: Oh so just God, just so many of these <laughs> moments, just like Brett is I just flipping is so through the book. Happy. <laughs> uh, I mean, how many copies
0: of this comic do you have?
1: In okay, different so formats? I have this. This is my this is my actual one that I've had since nineteen ninety-three or whatever. Um, I have a signed one by Peter David on my wall now Uh I don't. So the only reason I have that and I have a Rob Liefeld signed X-Force number 11 are up there. Um, So I used to have uh, my, my X-Men number 94, which is the, you know, 1975 debut of the new team Uh um, versus Count Nefaria. Yeah. I had that up there and then I have my uncanny 168, which is the professor Xavier is a jerk at the cover of Kitty backed up against the wall yeah -hmm. and it is signed by chris claremont from wizard world philadelphia and that so like that convention happened in 2008 like the week that joss whedon's uh giant size astonishing x-men came out which ends with kitty this all sounds wild when you say it out of context with kitty um trapped in a giant space bullet that she successfully Mm -hmm. phased through the earth and is now just careening through space and she's presumably lost forever uh so that came out like wednesday and then i have chris claremont sign that iconic kitty pride cover on friday and he wrote a speech bubble of kitty saying you don't get rid of you don't get rid of me that easily joss <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like i treasure it but i think they were both getting sun damage i bought uv protective uh mm-hmm. glass and i was just like i'm just going to I'm gonna
0: relax those for a while. But so you have two, two. This X Factor eighty four. You have two copies of that. Do you have a collection with it in it, like a? Trade? Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. So I also have. I'm pretty sure I have it unopened because it came bagged with a trading card. Plus okay. just. I can't believe I Great. haven't mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> I have that, and then I have. I have an uncanny. I have an ex, ex- executioner song. Uh, big hardcover. Okay. So uh, four different
0: versions of this comic and own. digital.
1: And so digital. Find, yeah, because I did buy it on Comixology. <laughs> I
0: think I love reading digital comics. I get that. Yeah. Uh so that's five versions. That sounds that sounds like a comic you love. When I love a comic, I get multiple versions yeah. of it. And, yeah. I, and uh and I'm just like, well,
1: I'll read this version now. Yeah. I mean, I did think like, should I read it in the trade or the digital? And I was like, No, so I pulled up the old one. The other issue that I almost chose was X Force 19, which is the uh epilogue of Executioner's Song. So either way, which, Will
0: was doomed.
1: Yeah, well. well that's I, okay. I just, Except that one, oh God, I don't, that one is actually a quiet, no fighty issue. It is very mm-hmm. like character based and all of X-Force like determining who are we going to be? Our mentor is dead. We're just like a whole bunch of 19 year olds on the run Wait, from the law. Cable dies at the end of this storyline. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he <laughs> dies and then he comes back six months later. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Yeah. Um right. But that issue is why X-Force is my favorite. That era of X-Force is my favorite Um. One of my favorite X-Men runs. One of my favorites.
0: You know, after, after the 80s <laughs> Claremont X-Men, sorry, late 70s, early 80s, um, I do think, like, my personal biggest hole in, like, just Marvel stuff is 90s Marvel. And, and a lot of my friends, my comic book friends, that was kind of what they were, like, reared on. That, that's, like, yeah. what they imprinted on. So, oh, but yes, I was also it's reading- good for me to have some exposure to it.
1: Yeah. I was also reading uh when I was a kid, I was reading like reprints and like Dark Phoenix sagas. Mm -hmm. I got that trade paperback within months of discovering the X-Men. Like I was just reading everything I could get.
0: There's great comics that you read just because they're great and they and they they're collected or or available to you. And then there's the comics, the first books, the issues that you get. And those just mean like for Will and I, it was those mid to late eighties Marvel comics. Will mm-hmm. always hold a special place, good or bad yeah. well, versions of it. It's just sort of like those are the kind like uh, the last few issues of Marvel Team Up mean mm-hmm. a lot to me because I read them early and I think they're very good. And I mean, I don't think they're bad, but they're not anything special. Uh, the uh, one of them has Cannonball in it, uh, uh, Brett. Yeah, is it? That- uh, yeah, uh, uh, one forty nine is Cannonball. One fifty is the X Men, um, and it's just like those are two of the first comics I bought, and I just love them. Uh, and I just love that era of Marvel comics. And it's like any comics from that era I love, but then when I go back and read them, sometimes there's like so many fill in artists and, and the th- stretches where it's like, Oh, I forgot like there's four issues in a row that are just boring between good storylines. Um, but like those boring storylines, I like way more than the bad stuff from the nineties, just because the nineties for me was like another 10 years later.
1: And yeah, And like I was, just, like, I was
0: I... moving over to DC stuff at that time.
1: I it's only terrible. read X Men comics in the 90s. And so as an adult, I'm now going back and reading everything else from Marvel in the 90s. And yeah. I think, and it's really weird going back and reading comics from an era that you know inside and out that you've never read before. Cause it's just like, this feels so familiar, but I have no idea what's going on in Quasar right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, but discovering like Darkhawk and Quasar and like Thunderstrike are really. Good. Like, I really like Thunderstrike.
0: Thunderstrike's by Tom DeFalco, right?
1: Yes, yeah, Ron and Tom DeFalco, and he's like a single dad architect who's also like a trying to be Thor, but he's not good at it. <laughs> I've always wanted
0: to check out Thunderstrike because I like those two guys. Yeah, so it's much. a
1: really fun book. Like, there's um, a lot of just like single dad divorce parent drama in it. I
0: mean, this is just the era where I was just emailing somebody about this. This is just the era of comics where I had left most of Marvel behind. I was it's, still doing Hulk because Peter David was still doing Hulk, and I, I read X Factor because Peter David was an X Factor. But I wasn't reading much else, um, and I had switched over to DC, which was doing Justice League International. Was still kind of go maybe wrapping up. Um, I was reading Flash and things over there, and so I was like, that was starting to capture me over there.
1: Yeah, the the well don't read a lot of '90s like. <laughs> I think you will be disappointed. Well, I, guess I think there's some interesting just, just, stuff.
0: Just enough to get a, just to be oriented well, a little bit. I think like they, if you read, it.
1: I still, there is merit, but like 90 to 93, 94, I think is still like everything you love about the late eighties Marvel stuff, just with like nineties art. I think it, it's, it's still. There's still some okay. good storytelling okay. in there. But then like when you get to Iron Man's a teenager, yeah. uh, Captain America is wearing life preserving armor. Uh, <laughs> it, it's
0: also the only other era except from the original sixties era where artists really drove
1: mm-hmm.
0: so much of Marvel, right? It was Kirby and Ditko uh, driving so much Marvel back then. And then like the writers sort of took over. Yeah. Uh, and then, writers took over basically until McFarlane and Larson and Lee Field and Lee said no we are more popular than the uh, yeah. writers so we are in charge
1: Ninjas and comics all the time. changed a lot uh, and, then and they now writers
0: are in charge again but um, but like the impact that the artists had is still there
1: and when you get to like the mid to late 90s is where like oh we're on like the third generation of artists affecting the image and it's like yeah. very X-Men still good <laughs> No. <laughs> X Men is rough in '96, but then it's really great in '97, and then goes awful in '98. To me, um, but yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Do you uh, we um? Should, sorry, go ahead. Well. Do you still like um? I think you do, but do you identify as an X Men fan? Is that like part of your personality?
1: Yeah, which is why the last uh, year and a half has been real hard. <laughs> you you like haven't.
0: Oh, yeah, what's to, your what's your take on the general to, on the Hickman reboot to, or whatever to
1: you I uh I have re- I during oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I have read up until I'm like two or three months. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I'm dying. You mentioned it. <laughs> Allergic. He's having a
0: reaction. He's got a rash growing up his face.
1: <laughs> so the thing that I love about the X-Men are that they're um they're still part of the world they have found themselves in like this pocket of happiness but they're still a part of the world they're still like they want to be you know they're 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 still people and I relate to that as like I'm a gay person but I'm also a person like this kind of you know I am proud of my gay culture and heritage and whatnot but I'm also still like you know, I don't hate all straight people. <laughs> Will and Kevin, you guys are cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Only two. No. Um, what this, two so to the, pick? So the <laughs> men, A lot of the Hickman's. A lot of the Hickman stuff. It, it's very isolationist, and it's very um, mutants are just a whole different thing. And there's a lot of like, the, in the early part of Hickman's run, there's just like a lot of weird like. All the X Men talking about how, like, well, of course, all humans are evil, and it's like, that, what, 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 what is happening? Yeah. And that that like makes irks me. And then I guess this actually ties into X Factor '84, where like none of the characters are acting like characters. They they yeah, to yeah. me they are all acting like. Uh, The X-Men are are notoriously combative and combustible and can't agree on anything. So it is just wild to me that Professor X is like, hey, guys, I got that island that tried to kill all of us. So I have that. I also have been backing up all of your brains and cerebro so that I can, like, clone you guys. And if you die, I can just drop your consciousness in there. Cool. Want to come to my island? And They're all like, hell yeah.
0: The comic smacks of mind control. But it's been going on so long that yeah. it's almost like... There
1: is... And so, like, the thing... So, like, I was, like, going along with it because, like, the art is great. And I was like, the premise is fine. Like, yeah. um. But then in, like, uh, the eighth month or whatever, when Hickman's eighth issue, in order for mutants who have been depowered to be reborn and get their powers back, they have to be murdered in gladiatorial <laughs> combat. Yeah. So. One of the young Guthr- Guthrie siblings gets bludgeoned to death by apocalypse in an arena, and all of the X Men are just like cheering that on. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> this is not good (laughs) these this is not x-men yeah these are assholes these are like sadists like what are we doing and no one is calling it out and it isn't until the the current way of x series which is nightcrawler basically uh being a real good audience surrogate for me finally of just being like hey why are we all so angry yeah uh which i need to get caught up because and also the whole Moira McTaggart stuff is just stupid. I it's it's very it's oh, a interesting. very is a very it's what's well, a very interesting concept for like a story, but like in terms of a shared universe, you're telling me that if Moira McTaggart dies, literally the entire Marvel universe is over. This inconsequential formerly right, right. human scientist, mm-hmm. because when she dies, everything resets. It's like, what are we what? <laughs> like? Okay, it is cool. A very so cool. Is a very, to
0: me, it's a very cool science fiction story or like an yeah. Else world story. Uh, and because I don't have the deep connection to the X-Men, I it got too sprawling for me. But I was enjoying it uh, uh more or less when it first started, uh, and then it became like 30 titles. Uh mm-hmm. but I love the idea. But yeah, to me, it's a, I don't have this strong connection with I don't care if Cyclops acts out of character. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it does seem like I I don't I'm I'm reading it now so um it I I can already tell though it doesn't feel like the the characters are represented or that they matter. It's more like an idea book, like a concept yes, book yeah. that's just being kind of shoved in through the X-Men characters. I do it's think an that's what Hickman comic but I do think that's what Hickman does. His run on Avengers yeah. which I only read some of so I'm speaking very uh loosely about this. I felt read like it all. felt like oh yeah They're sort of like the Avengers and they're sort of like the Fantastic Four, but this isn't, I don't think they would do this thing, but for the storyline, they've got to. So like, I guess they're going to murder, they're going to murder these planets instead of like the whole concept of his Avengers one is like other earths were colliding with our earth, like across dimensions or something. And so like Reed Richards and a few Avengers were like, just destroying those earths before it would happen to save our earth. And I'm like, that feels wrong. Wouldn't they? find a way to save everybody that's what happens in comic books generally yeah <laughs> but that was sort of the concept and everyone loved it and i was like i'm just gonna stop reading it because i don't love that yeah arc but because i have a more strong connection to the, the ff and some of some of the avengers not all the avengers right yeah so well, to me, it, it was like oh this feels wrong to me and people loved it and i read the secret wars uh ending to it which is fun but well the, these characters are strong and strong enough and beloved enough that if the Hickman stuff is truly an aberration, the way you're saying, Brett, and it seems like it might be.
1: Well, but everyone revert. fucking loves it. It's <laughs> maybe it's lo- time but for a breath of that, fresh air. Everyone yeah. loved that
0: Avengers run from Hickman, too. Everything snaps back.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's the thing is, just like, it, it's like, I'm waiting uh, for them to move back to I mean, New York.
0: Even the Morrison run was very different, and they snapped yes. back from that. And it was also beloved and, and wildly yeah, it beloved. It and, and, except by death. me a fashionable yeah. breath of fresh uh, air just change it up and then come back palate cleanser yeah. just like yeah, that, that's how
1: it. it always that's how it always goes Comics but has going-
0: gone too long and and, and, and right it's like uh, yeah, comics were not meant to go.
1: Think these comics stories. should
0: stop every twenty years and restart. Really, I,
1: yeah, I have actually thought like that'd be a really cool thing for publishers to do. Of like, there's just like ten years. You have ten years, and every ten years, it's just like now, cool. We have reset, and like it's just a new universe. We we'll are yeah. telling a ten year stories. That'd we, be could, cool. ch- we could
0: change uh, sexualities and races as we yeah. want for those ten years, and, and adapt for modern times. It would people would hate it, mm-hmm. but just the building especially which what marvel does now sort of what dc is sort of doing but like this sort of un you never stop building yeah. it's it, it's you can't just keep building higher and higher and higher it, it gets unwieldy yeah. or you just have to sort of ignore that it's unwieldy which well and that's what the they problem do.
1: with that's the problem with x-men is like x-men kind of as a concept is based on new generations coming in mm-hmm. uh it's because it's built into the whole like loose school idea thing and mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. You have the New Mutants generation, and then you have the Generation X generation, and then you have the New X Men, then Academy X, and then it just keeps going. Young X Men. Uh, There's just like a Wolverine in the X Men, and so like there are, there are like twenty years worth of kid mutants that have just been kids for twenty years, and they're just kind of all hanging around, and uh, it gets it's just very strange.
0: I mean, Spider-Man just uh, and we should wrap up soon, but Spider-Man just did a log arc where it was sort of just sort of like, hey, look at all these weird storylines that have happened in the past. This doesn't make sense that we, we would act like this. Like, how can Harry Osborn be alive when he died and he went through all these other things? And it's sort of like, yeah, that's comics. If you start thinking about that, the whole thing falls apart. I don't care about picking at these threads. I'd rather just ignore them and tell a good story. Yeah. That it feels like a Spider-Man story. Then. Uh, play with the meta reality that Spider-Man's life is like, it felt like the heart of this recent Spider-Man arc was uh, no matter what Peter does, people close to him die. And it's happened so much that he's a bad person. It's like, yeah, it's true. For 60 years, his girlfriends and their parents and his family members, (laughs) some of them multiple times have died. That's comic books. And if you stop and think about that, it's insane, but you can't. It hasn't been six years. It's been 10 years. Most of that can't have happened. Yeah. And you just, and I, and I don't like dwelling on it. I, I, in the same way that I, I don't mind brief moments, uh, but I don't love when comics dwell too much on, uh, why are there so many bank robbers? <laughs> does, that's not a real thing that happens anymore or ever. Like oh, how is I was watching a Superman animated series where he catches a bank robber at the beginning, which is like a thing that doesn't really happen anywhere but in comic books. And I'm like, yeah, but I want it to happen in comic books. I want them to have black and white villains sometimes to catch. I like some gray yeah. stuff, but I like that sometimes they're just villains that are just like, yeah, you should catch those guys. You shouldn't be like, I gotta fix the school system. Yeah, one <laughs> <laughs> of that story. Anyway, uh, uh, last thoughts, Brett. Let's wrap up. Um. Oh, you uh, probably have a hundred last last thoughts, but yeah. No, I
1: mean, you know, uh this issue is uh everything that's right about the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> is there... well, I, think, I think it is okay. I will say this. I think this issue is emblematic of how rich and great the C and D list X-Men are because Storm and Wolf, like the actual X-Men X-Men aren't in this hardly, right? Um, so it's like this is ex- exhibit A of why cannonball and wolfsbane and boom boom and shatterstar and strong like these are some of my all-time favorite characters i do i do love the
0: idea that this is peak or or a great window into that era of x-men this is what made this x-men great and crazy and 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 everything in between yes um will any last thoughts before we wrap up um who's professor x (laughs)
1: um
0: okay uh anything to plug brett
1: Oh, yeah. You can uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Brett White. Um, I'm writing at Decider. I will be covering Hawkeye, holidays permitting, <laughs> because thanks for thanks for that schedule, Disney+. Plus. Uh, um, uh, and you and, should uh, follow Brett White. Uh, uh,
0: his Decider stuff is great. Uh, I read a lot of it. He writes with a passion and a heart, and like if you read his stuff... You're, you're sort of reading recaps or expl- or uh, looks into shows, but you're also reading who Brett White is a lot of times. Yeah, what I and like it, to focus it really on. makes it a fun read. Um, <laughs> I know you, so maybe it's even more fun for me. But I think even for people who don't know you, probably if you read a couple columns by Brett White, you'll step away going, I know who this guy is. I get him.
1: Find my and, WandaVision recaps because those are, uh, <laughs> they, were, they were like therapy at 6 a.m. on a Wednesday for, for yeah. Friday. For me but you're just
0: very good at whatever you watch. Not everything, I'm sure, but like a lot of the stuff you watch, I feel like you watch and you find your connection to it. <laughs> and it might be a different connection to everything. And it's like, this show I'm <laughs> connecting to because it it makes me feel this way and it reminds me of this part of my personality. But I rarely read a review where you're just like, that was cool uh, how the arrow <laughs> hit Thanos in the face. It's like, you're more likely to say, like, those arrows remind me of when I was trying to figure out how I was going to get through New York in one piece.
1: I was like, Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am currently reviewing uh, a ton of Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas movies. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I've, I'm watching one a day basically. So, Hey, uh, yeah, you're right. I am finding <laughs> ways yeah. to relate to things,
0: uh, but I interrupted you. Anything else, Brett? Um...
1: No, I mean, you can also, in theory, listen to my podcast must have seen TV, uh, which is on a hiatus. Cause I'm also writing a book. And so uh, It's just a lot. (laughs) Life is a lot.
0: Um, All right.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, get on board with the Brett White Extended Universe, everybody. And um, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Brett.
1: Thank
0: you. Uh, So that was our interview with Brett White. I think it Uh, went great. I think it went great, too. Brett, I love Brett so much. He is such a happy, I mean uh i think the pandemic hit him very hard but whenever i talk to him he seems so happy and he makes me happier uh, he is yeah. uh, a joy i think infectious is the word they use ironically yeah. uh i guess the word infectious means something else in a pandemic but his joy is infectious <laughs> he's also infectious we did get sick <laughs> listening to that uh brett is great and you should i said it during uh, uh when we, we were saying goodbye to him but you should follow him on decider if you don't already or read his stuff you yeah don't i like need to read stuff it all, on but- decider too Read it, man. He's he's a good writer. He writes about media the way people should. Yeah, a lot of heart and feeling. Um, so it's really good. And Kevin will be back next week. We we don't know what... we're. I guess we're probably going to do Mutants some Mail back next probably week. Probably Mutants Mail. We got to finish up... Uh, we have to read the last John Byrne issue at least. And then uh, the first few of the new Cockrum stuff or whatever will be next week. I don't know what issue number is. And then after that... Probably another guest. We probably have a couple more guests. We we have a couple more guests coming. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, stick around for that. Our email is screwitcomics at gmail.com. We have an Instagram, screwitcomics, and a Twitter. Don't get left out Twitter, screwitcomics. So please interact with us and we will respond. Yeah. And we'll read those emails on our Mutants and Mailbags episodes. Um, I like that that's becoming plural mutants and mailbags like they're like we're <laughs> Santa Claus and there's just yeah. like sacks and sacks of mail waiting to this pouring them out in the front of the judge. Yeah, the Heinz brothers are real. I tell you <laughs> <laughs> this envelope only says the milk stops and yet the post office delivered it. What does that tell you? <laughs> um, it's a great ending. That's a great ending to a movie. It really is. I it's think a, about it a lot. It's a very fun way to prove Santa Claus is real. Yeah. And that sweet moment. Um, uh, goodbye well goodbye Kevin.
1: Screw it, screw it, we're just talk talk about- comics. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrow's will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance,
0: reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad
1: thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. I'm balder than it. you. You are balder than me.
1: Only on Bald Talk.
0: Campfire.